Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Full of frustration, full of despair, from years of hurt, disappointment and relegation, two British football fans have had enough. Canary Bird Elliot Holman and Wanderer Henry Hewitt are in search of glory, pride, passion, in search of silverware. And they found Major League Soccer. Welcome to another episode of the MLS UK show, a special episode. I'm Elliot Holman. And I'm Henry Hewitt. Now, today we are joined by a special guest who may be of interest to RSL fans and Portland Timbers fans and definitely New York City fans. Yes, uh, we thought whilst I'm away on holiday, which uh, no, I am, I may have tilted the camera a little bit, but I am actually on holiday. This is recorded before I go on holiday. Uh, we thought we'd uh, do some special interviews and release some uh, special episodes whilst I'm away. And this one I'm so excited about because if you are an MLS fan and you know MLS and you're from the UK, especially if you're an NYCFC fan, you will know this guy. He is the uh, lead analyst for not only CBS Sports when they do the Champions League and Europa League coverage, but also for the Yes Network, who cover New York City FC. It's Mr. Ian Joy. How excited are you, Elliot, to speak to him? Yeah, and New York City, of course, had huge success last season. It's looking like they're going to be contenders again this year, so there's plenty to talk about uh, MLS-wise with New York City. But he's also had a very, very unique career as well. Yeah. Um, now we're going to be talking to him about that. How he started off in England and Scotland, but then moved to Germany, uh, most notably with St. Pauli, and then over to uh, MLS with RSL and Portland Timbers. Um, and yeah, it's just a very unorthodox sort of route, really, because uh, as we normally do, the game with a changing name, uh, where we we get a career path. You know, I don't think we've had many players that have gone from the likes of Sterling Albion to St. Pauli and Hamburg to then RSL and Portland. Yeah, absolutely. So I really hope you enjoy this uh, really in-depth chat with Ian Joy about all things MLS. Elliot Holman, Henry Hewitt, MLS UK Show. And joining us now on the MLS UK Show, you know who it is. It's Ian Joy. How are you, Ian? Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. 
Yeah, we're just saying off air that uh, we're into our fourth season now and you're a, a little unhappy that we've not asked you to come on the show before. Yeah, it's taken a while, hasn't it? Obviously, uh, the time goes by pretty quickly. It's been a crazy couple of years as well, but I'm glad to finally get the invitation and uh, to join you boys and have a good conversation about all things uh, soccer related and Major League Soccer in particular. It's been a wild ride the last few years, so there's a lot to talk about. Absolutely. First of all, Ian, I want to ask, and I think what everyone wants to know is, how's Cooper settling in? <laughs> the new pup is doing well, thank you very much. Yes, he's uh, he's a brilliant dog, only 11 weeks old. He's still peeing in the house, which is driving us crazy, but we're trying to teach him slowly but surely. It's uh, It's been a welcome addition. We lost our family dog last year, and I think we spent, what, 10 months without a dog in the house. We moved to a new house obviously in the East coast base now. And um, it just felt empty without a dog. And, you know, you need that little life partner alongside you. So the introduction of Cooper has gone down very well with the kids and my wife. That's for sure. <laughs> we're definitely team dog. Um, my dog often joins us in the studio when we're recording. And uh, I'd like to say sits there quietly, but I don't know if that's <laughs> true, to be honest with you. He's, uh, he's a heckler. Um, now, uh, we, we do a game on the show uh, called The Game with a Change in Name, and that's because we never really settled on a name. Uh, but it's where we check out the career path of uh, somebody who's played in the States, and over in the US. And I, when I'm picking somebody, I feel like I scroll past your name quite a lot because your career path has been really interesting. And I feel like it might be one of the easier ones to guess, if that makes sense. Because we're talking England, Scotland, Germany, States. How do you compare all of the leagues that, that you played in? Comparison is difficult when it when it compares to um obviously europe and mls it's completely different i think europe you could compare lower leagues in england to lower leagues in germany scotland's a little bit lower than that um so it's not too far away from one another over there but mls is a completely different animal altogether didn't quite know what to expect when i arrived in mls to play um, I was very surprised with the travel, very surprised with uh, obviously the time changes, um, the kickoff times in the middle of the day when it's like 100 degrees out, humidity. Um, it was very confusing to me and it took me a minute to settle, but I had a lot going on in my personal life, which is the reason why I moved to MLS and I was determined to make it work. Unfortunately, my body wasn't holding up and in the end, the injuries caught a hold of me and uh, and took my career in a downward spiral very quickly. But the league's comparison is very, very difficult. I just, I, I love MLS. I loved playing in MLS. I wish I'd have played longer in the league because it was really starting to go places uh, when I arrived. And um, obviously, um, RSL, when I was there, they went on to win the, the MLS Cup, which was a special achievement. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's not easy to compare MLS to any league in Europe. It's just, it's so different from the media coverage to the way people treat you. Obviously in the U S you're unrecognizable. And I came from St. Pauli where I couldn't walk the streets without someone wanting to talk football and, you know, have a beer and, and buy you a beer. It was just, it was a bit different. So it was nice. It was a different change coming over to MLS, but even the league now, I'll tell you, compared to when I played in it, what, 14 years ago when I first arrived, it's a different league now. It's even better now than it's ever been. So when you was going to sign for Real Salt Lake all those years ago, uh, did you have any preconceptions about MLS? Any thoughts before you signed? You know, I actually tried to sign 
back in 2002 or 2001, I tried to sign with MLS for Columbus Crew and I failed the medical. I, I have a dodgy knee. I had a bad knee injury that I picked up in my first ever professional game for Tramia Rovers as a rookie. And um, I failed the medical on, on my knee. And I thought that was me for MLS. I was never going to get a chance, but it was always a dream because I was born in California, obviously grew up in, in Scotland. You can tell by the accent, but wanted to always live stateside. And when they created this league, I was like, this is, this is a must for me. I must play in the U.S. So I took a gamble, um, but I was lucky because at that point when I went to Real Salt Lake, I was already playing for St. Pauli and I already created a name for myself. I was pushing to possibly get involved with a national team. And, um, you know, obviously it was uh, a lot of things going on off the field in my personal life that pushed me to make that decision. Um, but it was it was an interesting one. It was a great story, I'll tell you. Um, so I'm playing for St. Pauli and we get 20, 25,000 every single game. We were playing second Bundesliga at the time. Uh, we'd just been promoted. It was just brilliant. City was great. Hamburg, brilliant city. Club was excellent. Just gave me a new contract. Um, so everything was going well. But as I said, you know, when things were not going well in your private life, you make some interesting decisions personally. So I had actually reached out to, to RSL and see if there was any interest. And within a month or two, their uh, general manager, Garth Lagerway, who's now one of the most successful um, men in Major League Soccer and creating teams, he's at Seattle now um, and has been for a few championships. Um, he flew straight over to Germany, slept on my, uh, on my sofa in the living room and went to watch a game. He, he came to watch me play against Kaiserslautern. And um, after the game, we went and had a few beers and we were talking contracts. And before we shook hands, he said, why do you want to leave all of this? why would you leave this amazing thing that you have going on here? And, um, you know, obviously it was, it was a personal decision because things weren't going right um, at home. So yeah, I made a big decision and uh, I appreciate the way that Garth went out of his way to, to bring me over to RSL, but it was not easy because I went to probably the worst team in MLS at that time. And I was coming from possibly one of the best teams in, in the second Bundesliga. So it was, uh, it was a cultural shock for me. I remember, uh, stories very similar uh some bizarre signing stories uh Jamie Redknapp's is is exceptional some of the Liverpool hierarchy that uh he was staying with um while they sort of looked after him when he was a young boy at the club and he was away from his dad um yeah. and I love hearing stuff like that so that's really cool um when when you join MLS and it's that particular there's a, there's certain eras of MLS and we're certainly in a very very strong one now when you look back what was MLS like back then compared to now? Because in my eyes, it's it's mm -hmm. it's a totally different ball game, right? Yeah, totally different ball game. Um, uh, financially, I'll give you um, a great example. It's not hard to go back and look through the finances of what players were making back in the day. Um, I had taken a pay cut to come to MLS, and um, I, I think I was on about 120, something like 125, something like that, thousand um, dollars, and that was um, obviously very good back in the day. Then at RSL, we had, I think, 11 players on similar earnings. And then maybe one or two players who were on over 200. The lowest earner at that time was about $12,000, $13,000 a year. So we're talking kids coming out of uh, college, couldn't afford to live. They were going into a, an apartment with four other players and 
you know, they all share in a car. They just couldn't afford to live, but they were chasing their dream. And MLS had this way of being able to manipulate players to leave college and chase this professional soccer dream. And it was a, it was a genius plan because a lot of big players came from, through this, but there was a lot of players who really couldn't afford to live healthy in that way. Whereas now, you fast forward to what we've got going on right now, we've got an average of, I don't know, $600,000 a year um, per team on salaries. You've got a minimum salary. I think it's just been pushed up from 70 to about 90. Might even be close to 100s now. I haven't checked. But we've got minimum salaries that are through the roof and we've got maximum salaries that are through the roof. DPs, um, soccer-specific stadiums, travel's better, um, but the league overall is in a much healthier place because the players are just much better as well. You're starting to attract the younger player, players who are coming over from South America, from Europe, um, from Africa, from around the world um, to, to really compete. And not only just compete, they're coming over to maybe use Major League Soccer as a stepping stone to, to a bigger move. So you're starting to see that take place rather than the retired player come over and finish his career in MLS, which I think was a very, very unhealthy way of doing business. And, and my club, NYCFC, found that out very quickly. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about NYCFC uh, and the success they had, especially last year in a moment. But um, going back to RSL, uh, was there any... I mean, we can imagine the sort of players that you played with or played against... Um, you know, big names of the time. But were there any players that kind of went under the radar a little bit? Great players that we might not remember now. Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone talks about the, the players that did make it. There were certain players who maybe didn't go over to Europe or didn't leave MLS. A lot of players stayed in MLS and made big names for themselves. Obviously, I played with two of the biggest names in MLS history, Kyle Beckerman and Nick Romando. They were so loyal to MLS, national team players. But over in Europe, nobody would know who the hell they are. Um, so two very, very close friends of mine, but two very big names in MLS. But they, um, what they did for the league was just tremendous. And they both had great success in the league. I remember them coming into the league as rookies. They were both national team youth players at the time, um, but then went on to play for the full national team and do so well. Um, if I'm looking at just my own club, at RSL in particular, there was two or three young boys who who probably should have done better, but couldn't get an opportunity. Uh, and then there were some success stories as well. Um, we had Tony Beltran, who, who was a, a rookie, came in as a, as a fullback from UCLA. He went on to have a successful MLS career, won MLS Cup. He's now general manager, if I'm not mistaken, of RSL. He's doing a great job there. He deserved a lot more credit. He did go on to play for the national team, but he was a very, very good young player. Um, Javier Morales uh, was our number 10 back in the day. You guys would have absolutely loved him. He was just an absolute genius. He was, he was like a Maxi Morales type player. He could just unlock defenses and he saw passes that other players just couldn't see. And he deserved a lot more credit. And, and realistically, people should be speaking more about these types of players in MLS um, because they're historic players and what they, what they achieved. Um, but then we have a success story of um, a Euram of Sissian who played with me. He was um, he was sort of a bit part player when he was at the club. He'd come from Kansas City. They didn't want him. So they shipped him off to RSL. He had a big ego. He thought he was, was great. And he knew he could achieve something special if someone gave him some love. And Jason Christ did. He gave him a lot of love, played him some minutes. 
Um, but but Yura's story was just incredible. His family had some health issues, and you know he was earning like forty grand a year, living in an apartment, and you know the, the standard of living was just crazy. These guys couldn't afford to live properly. He was from LA, but an Armenian um, international player, and um, you know obviously at that point he'd never played for his national team, but he was he was Armenian, so he went on and left RSL, took a gamble, went over to Randers in Denmark. From there, went over to Russia, played for a couple of clubs in Russia, ended up at Spartak Moscow and made millions. And this guy went on to represent his country for like 60 times, you know? So he became such a big player, ended up back at RSL on a DP contract, making big, big money. But he made millions in his career because he took a gamble. And in MLS at that time, it was hard for players like him because he had a reputation and some coaches are arrogant in this league. They were holding him back. And when he actually let loose, he achieved something incredibly special. And I'm so very proud of someone like him who I played with and managed to help along his journey. Somebody, certainly somebody that sticks out in, in my memory of when I started to, you know, get involved in, in MLS again, you know, more recently. But um Something that keeps coming up on on the podcast week in, week out, when we hear about these players that are, um, have potential moves to Europe, we're seeing it more and more, of course. How yeah. how does the league now move from... It's almost a victim of its own success now. How does it How does it now adapt to be able to try and hang on to these players? Some of them that have gone are incredible players, and it's fair to say they're beyond the standard of, of some of the MLS teams that, that they've been snatched from. And you say, fair enough, you shake hands. Some of the names we, you know, we're 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 hearing and we're talking about, for example, Gaga Slanina from Chicago, who, you know, I remember seeing they they registered him before he was even sixteen years old in the first team, you know, years ago. How how do we now move to stop these players all moving over to Europe? What can we do? Well, we're doing it. We're we're obviously got to give time. Let time do its work. I mean, it's a young league, very, very young league, and we all forget that it's it's so young. We got to give it history, right? Because there's um, there's a way forward for this league, but it has to be financially stable. And you cannot pay players what they want if they're getting offered millions from Europe. You cannot pay them just because you want to keep them. You have to also look at it as a business structure in the long term and how to keep the league healthy and financially stable. And I think each club needs to do that individually. Um, I can only speak for, for, for NYCFC because I know the club inside out. The way they go about their business is, is incredible. I mean, they have the luxury of obviously City Football Group to lean on, but their, um, their structures completely changed. They had Pirlo, they had David Villa, Frank Lampard, and we're spending millions and millions and millions on these players who were coming over, doing well, but missing big games because they were injured or getting old, right? Now, these young players are coming through and uh, the scouting system's working so well that we have half the team from South America, some European players, a coach from Europe, and the academy players from around um, all of New York that are just absolutely fantastic. And they see a path forward. So what you got to try and do is create a path for these young players who are coming through your academy where they can vision that one day they'll make the first team in your football club. And if they see that, you've got an opportunity of keeping them and stopping these youngsters from going over to Europe before they really get into the pros. Once they get into the pros, if they have a dream of playing in Europe, you can't stop them right now. The league is not old enough. Um, there's not enough money. 
Um, also, you've got to think about the championships that are on display. Um, let's take uh, Valentin Castellanos, for example. If, if an offer comes in that matches the valuation that the club has for him, they'll sell him because they have such a system of, thank you for what you did for us. We respect you. We're going to give you your opportunity. Your dream is to go play in Europe. On you go. We'll take a whole load of money from you and we'll move on to the next player who's going to come through and we'll do exactly the same again. It's a business. It's still a business. So these youngsters will go. At some point, you would hope that competitively, the Champions League and CONCACAF, MLS Cup and um, whatever league they have or, or domestic cup, open cup, whatever cup competitions they have, you would hope that it would create an interest enough to keep these players here. Because money will get better over time. And you have to think about this. These players are not playing for um, random clubs in the middle of uh, Germany or random clubs in France uh, just to get an opportunity to make a, a load of money and compete for a domestic title and maybe get a, a UEFA, Europa League or a Champions League opportunity to play in. You would have to think that there's a great deal of interest of people who would like to live in New York City, to live in Los Angeles and Houston and Austin, Seattle. I mean, some of the big cities that we mentioned, there's so many of them. Um, you would have to think that over time, it would be much, much better if you can afford it to offer these kids an opportunity to stay, to, to make great names for themselves in Major League Soccer, become a legend here. We will pay you the money you want, which will be close to what you would probably get in Europe, but we want you to become a legend here. Like Castellanos, for example, you can't stop him going. He's a 22-year-old kid. His dreams are in Europe. You can offer him a good contract. He might not accept it. He might just want to go anyway because his dream is not money. His dream is to play in Europe. And that's okay. That's okay because Europe has this great history and you can't compete with that just yet. But over time, you will be able to compete with it because MLS will become bigger and CONCACAF competitions will become bigger and the money will be readily available to keep these people here, these players here, and also give them opportunity to live the dream of what we can offer in the United States. I mean, this is, this is a great standard of living for, for these players and these families. So do you think then, um, like the, the early NYCFC, let's call it NYCFC version 1.0, um, where they had the, the big names in, um, we're kind of seeing it similar with Inter Miami at the moment. Do you think that NYCFC should have uh, gone to the route they're at now originally, or do you think that maybe they needed uh, that sort of the likes of Lampard and Perlo coming over to just get the the name out and and get people interested originally? I know what you're trying to say, and 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 really the only comparison I can make would be LA Galaxy when Beckham was there, right? And you've got to think of the players who were also with him or came after him or before him, Stephen Gerrard, Robbie Keane. I mean, legendary players, and it worked for the LA Galaxy. For some teams, it will work if you get the right mix. Um, obviously, LA Galaxy is a historic club in the league. They didn't always have these superstars. Uh, they managed to bring Zlatan Ibrahimovic over and pay him like measly amount of money to stay at the club. How on earth you managed to do that is just great business by their their um, sporting director, Jovan Karovsky, who's, who's a genius in getting these players to come here. But if you're going to spend, like they've got Chicharito now on what, seven or eight million, um, you've got to be able to find the right mix for someone like him. You can't just put him in amongst MLS players and pay the rest of the boys around him not much money and think that it's going to come together. So that's where I think you're right. The philosophy has to change. MLS clubs want to be a business. 
Like, there's no doubt that NYCFC want to make money, um, but they also want to win. They also want to win, and they want to put a good product out on the field. And I think that comes through City Football Group as well, their experience, and obviously um, in football over the world. But MLS clubs need to be very careful. Inter-Miami obviously have Beckham, who has so many contacts, and they have a lot of money to spend. They'll eventually get it right, because Beckham's a winner. Bex wants to win. There's no doubt in my mind he will not like the fact that they're not winning games, they're not achieving playoff places, um, that players have come over and not been successful when he spent money. He won't like that. That guy's an absolute winner. And uh, I've seen it firsthand with what he did in MLS, just watching him play, how, how much effort he put into it. That guy came over and really transformed the league because it showed superstars coming over at a good age with still a lot to offer can help the league develop. But the other guys who come over and just mail it in, they're not healthy for the league. And that's the type of player that these clubs need to get away from. So I think Inter-Miami will get it right eventually. It takes time. MLS is really hard. I think you need three or four years to, to really start to figure out how to build a team, um, what works, what doesn't work. Um, also, what interests your fans, because it is a business after all. You want to try and pack the stadiums. One of the first MLS games that, that I went to was NYCFC um, in, in Orlando. And just thinking back to the players that were on the pitch back then, I'm talking uh, David Villa, Frank Lampard, Kakar. We've, we've come a long way from that, as, as you've just discussed. But when we look at the likes of Almiron, for example, did that need to, did that need to go better? Because um, we all appreciate Almiron and, and what he did and achieved and the way he played in, in Atlanta. Yep. Did the move to Newcastle need to go better in terms of MLS proving itself at Premier League level? Because we're seeing a lot of European talk, not a lot of Premier League transfer talk with MLS. Yes, it's a difficult one because I think clubs are hesitant to spend that type of money on a player. And um, now through history with certain players who have been bought over or, or brought over to Europe, not having immediate success. I think you know clubs are, are hesitant because when money's been spent on players, they want immediate response. They want a, that player to perform immediately. If they don't, very quickly they can find themselves unfavorable and out the door. So it doesn't help when Almiron goes over and he sort of struggles and he doesn't goes through long periods without scoring goals. When he's a historically uh, famous goal scorer for Atlanta United and and wins MLS Cup and and becomes this icon. It's not healthy, but I still think that you're going to have a bunch of those before you start to see players just jump over and have an immediate success. It's got to gain respect. You can have a goal scorer who can bang in 30 goals in this league and go over and struggle in the Premier League. You can have a goal scorer who can score 20 goals in this league, go over to the Bundesliga like we've just seen with Pepe and can't even score a goal. It happens. Um, but eventually it will work out. It depends on the individual. And more respect will be given to Major League Soccer like it is. I mean, the U.S. national team has respect, uh, no doubt about it. A lot of young players who are playing in that national team are playing in Europe now at big clubs. I mean, we're talking Chelsea and Leipzig, Barcelona. We're talking big clubs, Juventus. Um, so there's a, a great deal of respect already there. But these types of players are few and far between. They all have MLS ties, but they're few and far between. You've got to find the right player. And MLS needs time to grow its respect from European clubs. And the only way to do that is to, to put out five or six big names who go and have this immediate success. Luck needs to be on your side. The right move to the right club needs to be on your side. And listen, I'll be honest with you. 
Castellanos is a game changer for NYCFC right now, but is he a Premier League goal scorer? I don't know. I have no idea. And you don't know until you go and make that move. You'll never know until you actually find out. Does he have the potential to score 20 goals in the Premier League? I'll tell you right now, he absolutely does. He's a confident boy, but it doesn't mean that it's going to work. It does not mean that he hits it off from the get-go. It might take him some time or he might never make it. So that's where players have to make these big decisions as to whether or not this is the right move and, and pick your club wisely. So it's a great question because it's not easy and I just don't think you can answer it. You just need to hope that you get the right individual at the right time. So speaking of Castellanos then, um, and let's say he knocked on your door and wanted some advice uh, on his next move. Uh, we've seen like Zach Steffen come to the EPL and sit on Manchester yeah. City's bench. Would you recommend, say, he go to a club further down the table in the EPL and get his 30, 35 games a season? Or would it still be beneficial for him to sign for a club like Manchester City at the top of the league where he's only going to come off the bench like 10, 15 times? Yeah, that's a tough one because goalkeeper position, obviously, I think a lot of goalkeepers are happy sitting on the bench learning. And, and you're going to see this with Matt Turner going over now from, from New England to, to Arsenal. He's not going to play. He's not going to start. You know, he's, if he's lucky, he'll get some games this year. But is he going to start in the Premier League from the get-go? No, absolutely not. There's a top talented goalkeeper who's a youngster right in front of him. So that's not easy. Um, but how can you stop this guy from accepting a, an offer from Arsenal Football Club to go and play in the Premier League or at least sit on the bench in the Premier League? I mean, that's that's just an amazing honour for a player like him who's at the age he is in the position he is. For a young player, it's very important that they make the right move. Um, I think we have had players go over from the academy age um, and, and in New York in particular, we lost Gio Reyna. He went straight over to Borussia Dortmund and look what happened there. I mean, this was such a talented player. He left NYCFC's academy, signed for Borussia Dortmund. And by the time he was, what, 17, 18 years old, he's in the first team. And NYCFC could have made a ton of money off that player. So you've got to be, make, be making sure that you're looking after these players properly. Um, but as far as like getting minutes, it's, it's very difficult for outfield players unless they're involved in the national team to even get recognized. This league does have a good scouting system from European clubs now. Sure, absolutely. But it's tough to play in this league and to stand out in this league. you got to be scoring goals. you got to be providing assists. Statistics are absolutely everything in MLS, as you guys know. Um, but, yeah, if you have success in the league, like NYCFC are having right now, I mean, we win the championship and I can just see name and name and name in the media over in Europe and getting questions from newspapers and media outlets all across Europe asking me about players and scouts asking about players and they're all over it. They're all over it. So MLS is getting covered greatly right now, but to have automatic success and to have immediate minutes in the first team in Europe, you just got to get lucky. You really do. You have to make the right move to the right club. It doesn't matter if it's a, a top five club in, in one of the top five European leagues or if it's a lower level team um, in the lower half of the table to get minutes. I mean, look at Josh Sargent. He's uh, gone over to Norwich, right? And uh, sure, he, he struggled at Werder Bremen, got relegated, gone to Norwich. Now what's happened? It's not great for his career. So you can pick and choose your moves as what, what is best for you. Um, but you need a bit of luck along the way to make sure you cement yourself in first teams. I mean, 
Um, Weston McKinney, great example, goes over to Europe, does immediate success with Schalke. Uh, obviously, unfortunate what happened with that club. Then he goes to Juventus. Not a bad move. I mean, it's just crazy how life works sometimes. Now, Tati or no Tati, what is the deal with NCFC this season? No one's seen more, uh, more of the action than you. Is it a second MLS Cup incoming? Are they the real deal once again now that CONCACAF is over? Yeah, the team is very good. They are um, they're playing well right now. Obviously not conceding goals. We're not scoring as many goals as I would like to see. I think the team, and, and that's crazy to say because they've, they've won, what, seven out of the last eight games. I mean, it's crazy to say that, but this team can win every game 4-0. If they're, if they're as good as they potentially can be, they should, they should win every game by three or four. They're that good. They're so dynamic. They're so dangerous. They're so confident. They create so many chances. Um, I'd like them to be more selfish. I'd like them to be more aggressive. I think that the rotation is so important for Ronnie Dyla and, his, and uh, the players who are sitting on the bench to make sure you keep these players fresh. I think you'll see NYCFC MLS Cup again. Winning it is, is you know, obviously very difficult to do. But there's not a team in MLS that can stop NYCFC when they're at their best right now. If they lose Tati, it's a good question because it's next man up mentality for this football club. Um, we have Talis Magno right now. I don't know if you've watched much of, of NYCFC's game with him playing. He plays out wide, kind of drifts out wide right now because Tati Castellanos plays in that number nine slot or Eber plays there. But Talis Magno wants to play number nine. And uh, this is, we're still talking about a really young, still a teenager. Um, big money's been spent on him. He is so silky, so smooth with the ball. He loves all the tricks. But he will be the next man up, I think, if Tati makes that move. And if he gets put into that number nine position between him and Eber, we've got two goal scorers right now that can push the team all the way to success again. So I just don't see any team stopping us this season. Um, certainly getting to MLS Cup. Eastern Conference is, is a bit of a bloodbath because there's some teams who have struggled at the beginning. But you can imagine by the end of the season, you'll have the usual suspects there or thereabouts causing all sorts of problems. So Eastern Conference is where it's at for me. If you if you can do well in Eastern Conference, finish top, you've got a real chance of winning it. I just want to pick up, uh, uh, just before we let you go, one thing you just said there, sort of NYCFC having the potential to go and win every game 4-0. Uh, yep. Teams that spring to my mind immediately that I've watched this season, I'll actually include Columbus because I've seen them play well at points this season, Montreal, yeah. Cincinnati, Orlando City. These are teams that I've watched have excellent, excellent games. And I've thought, wow, okay, this is, di yeah. this is different. Portland as well with that heavy, heavy victory. But then we always almost see the other side to the coin too easily. And it's what you mentioned. It's the rotation. When they play a weaker side, they don't have the depth. Is that NYCFC strength, the depth? Yes, absolutely. Nail on the head. The scouting has worked. The young players who have come into the club, I mean, it's just phenomenal watching Santiago Rodriguez come into the club playing the num number 10 slot. We're moving Maxi Morales from a number 10 position as an attacking midfielder to a defensive uh, position um, and, and allowing him to dictate play from the sixth role. Um, then you've got Gabriel Pereira, who came over, obviously a lot of money spent on him, Tiago Andrade. I mean, we have players who are sitting on the bench who would play at pretty much every other football club in MLS. There's no doubt in my mind. 
Um, sure, you've got a couple of youngsters there who have still got a lot to learn. Um, but we've done a real good job of integrating some youngsters, giving opportunity. Um, you know, we won MLS Cup last year with uh, Keaton Parks out with um, with a blood clot. We um, we lost Anton Tinnerholm, who's the best right back in the league, or, or pretty close to a, a couple. I don't want to throw any shade away from Juan. I know he's a great player on that right back slot, but yeah, there's there's uh, Tinnerholm, who's who's just an outstanding right back. Um, and, and two or three big names um, departed after MLS Cup. And the reason why NYCFC let that happen was because it's, it's just it's the next opportunity. You know, we thank you very much for starting in the MLS Cup final for winning it. Jesus Medina, um, who else left? Uh, Goodmunder, um, Torarens, and he left and went. And then James Sands went to Rangers. Three starters from MLS Cup left. And the club just said, thank you. Thanks for MLS Cup. We'll move on now because we've got youngsters who are sitting on the bench who need to play. And the only way to keep those kids happy and develop them properly is play them in the first team. What NYCFC is doing behind the scenes, the work that they're doing, scouting these players, giving them opportunity, is just sensational. And um, this football club is just getting bigger and bigger. And uh, the only thing that's lacking, obviously, we all know is a stadium. Um, but as far as training facilities, academy, planning, business projects, it, it's just it's top class. I want to ask you about MLS Cup um, and that night in December very shortly. But just before we do, I just want to pick up on something you said there about the Yankee Stadium. I know with some fans, it's kind of 50-50 where some fans love playing there, some fans hate playing there. Um, for you, for NYCFC to progress and to grow, can they do that at the Yankee Stadium or do they need their own stadium? You know, NYCFC have played home games at six different stadiums this year, believe it or not. Six different stadiums. If you can, if you include CONCACAF, Champions League, we've played at six different stadiums, Open Cup, all of it. it it's crazy to think. And it's, it's unfair on the players because you need to have a home. Uh, Yankee Stadium is, is called home for now, but it's not home. This football club is too big to, to play at Yankee Stadium for the long term. Absolutely. They need their own stadium. New York, for it to, to grow in this city where there's so much competition on sports, you're competing with multiple sports, giant names. And I mean, like, super supported. Um, it's not easy. And to bring in new fans, younger generation, which in the United States, the younger generation is getting more and more involved in, in football. So you're seeing the next generation looking around at what they want to support, which sport first and foremost, and then what team. And the only way to make a lot of these youngsters fall in love and some people who are undecided with which club they want to follow or which sport they want to follow is to give them a home. And uh, the fans deserve it more than anyone else. So there's no doubt in my mind that's, um, that's job number one. And um, sure, the product on the field has been taken care of um, by Ronnie Diala terrifically well, David Lee as well, just uh, the way they put the squad together. Um, but off the field, the work that they're doing, you know, and I see it regularly, um, it, it's fantastic to see how, how they're developing in the city. But the only way to really make it right, the only way to really make it as big as we think it can be, and to maybe be an absolute giant in this league for years and years and years to come, and maybe dominate, the only way to do that is to have your own stadium. It's, it's just inevitable. So MLS Cup then, um, going back to last year in Portland, uh, we... <laughs> had uh, Barney from UK yeah. NYCFC on the show and talking about his trip over there and how much he loved it. Um, for you, as now a broadcaster, uh, where does it stand in your favourite soccer memories? 
Yeah, that was that was a very special moment. I didn't go there working. I went there as a fan for the first time all season. Second time, actually. I went to New England um, in the playoffs. Second time as a fan to support the club. And actually, I think I'll take it back. I went to watch them beat Atlanta. Sorry about that. Um, so, so <laughs> yes. Third time. To be fair, a lot of people <laughs> saw their team win at Atlanta last season. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it, was, it was spectacular. You know, playing football was amazing in my career. I was so honored to play professionally. I was unfortunate with injury. I probably should have played at a higher level, but injury stopped that. Um, and, and sometimes luck stopped that as well. But I managed to achieve some special games and special memories that I'll never forget, especially with St. Pauli. That was that was a unique occasion. Uh, winning a championship there, getting promoted, all that type of stuff. It was amazing. Um, but then my career developed into media. And I was always passionate about media when I was playing. So I always wanted to jump into media. But I never knew what I was going to do. And when you mention sports media, the only place to be is in New York. And New York sports have suffered for so long not having a championship. Um, and I recognize that being with the club for a long time, you know, since 2015, since their beginning, that New York was so desperate to have a champion. And MLS Cup was pressure. It was cold. It was beautiful. It was scary. It was just all of the good things that you could imagine a cup final to be like you go do you remember the old school FA cup final days? I mean, not even the new FA cup finals, the old school that we remember, you know, 20 years ago when the FA cup was everything, sometimes it was bigger than winning the premier league, the FA cup. That's what it felt like MLS cup. Everything was just rolled into one. And then when, <laughs> when we conceded that goal in the last minute, which probably should have been a foul, the stadium erupted and I thought normally, you know, now you're going to go on and lose. And I was, I was sitting next to Aaron Boone, who's the, the manager of the New York Yankees. I was sitting next to him with his kids there. And, and I said to him, I said, this is not good. And it's like, he's like, I know he's like, I can feel it. Like momentum normally shifts about now, you know, and I'm, I couldn't believe it. The way the team performed in uh, extra time just to get to play uh, the penalty kicks was, was brilliant. And then to win on penalty kicks, to win in that fashion at that stadium. And that's, that's a former team of my Portland Timbers. Um, it was really, really special. And up there with one of my greatest ever memories. Then to go and do the crazy things we did afterwards, party with all the families and the fans, you know. Um, there's so many traveled in Portland. And, and that's so unique to say in MLS because it's so rare to see traveling fans in their numbers. You do get groups that travel and that's great to see because it never used to happen. But this was thousands and thousands and thousands of New Yorkers out there and people from all over the world, as you mentioned, had traveled to Portland to watch New York play in the final. Then we came back to New York and New York let us feel like a champion. We went to City Hall and, and met the mayor and, and celebrated with the, the people of New York. We went to... Um, the exchange market, which was just, it was just so crazy. And I couldn't believe we were actually here ringing the closing bell in New York exchange. It was just unbelievable. And it, it was never ending. There was event after event after event. But all I ever wanted personally, when I first went to RSL, I'll tell you just a little side story. Sorry to go on. Um, Dave Checkets, who was the owner of RSL back in the day, he gave me a key ring. He gave it to all the players who um, in 2008 who, who played for the team. And it said pursuit of the cup, pursuit of the cup. And it had a little picture of MLS cup on it. And even though I didn't win it in 2009, I was in rehab at that time. 
Um, even though I, I didn't win it in 2009, I still felt a bit part of the team. But to be a big part of NYCFC was so happy for me. And I couldn't wait to get my hands on that trophy because ever since he gave me that key ring, Pursuit of the Cup, I'd been chasing that cup. And to get my hands on it was was a very, very special feeling for me. And Maxi Morales at the, at the club party, it was a private event up on the rooftop um, uh, room or a private room in uh, Portland, looking over Portland at night. It was just players, families, members of staff, people who were just connected. We'd all worked so hard for years and been through miserable times. And Maxi Morales came up to me and gave me the cup and he said, this is for you. And I broke down in tears. I couldn't believe it. I'm getting emotional now thinking about it. It was just very, very special. Wow. It's... um... It, you just got that feeling, didn't you? Uh, you know, of, of especially from us looking at this side of the pond, it seemed that every NYCFC fan who was out there had their little moment um, just to, to take it in and just to properly enjoy it. You know, like I actually watched the, the Philadelphia game with the Cooligans, Alexis and Christian, and, and that was a week before. And then suddenly the week after, I'm seeing them on the pitch and we had Barney and, you know, holding MLS Cup and yourself. Yep. It just really seemed that the club allowed the fans to to just embrace it with them, which is something that I guess we don't necessarily see in this country. And maybe that's because they have uh, we yeah. have away fans at our stadiums, whereas they're not perhaps used to that as much in MLS. Yeah, and we all share that, that little connection in some way of being there. And, and anyone who's followed NYCFC over the period of time, it's not always been great. There's been some really miserable times. Um, but the way the club handled it, the way the club looked after their fans, their people was was nothing short of exceptional. And to have private events, but then also we had an event um, where I saw your mate as well who came over. Um, there was maybe 3,000 people inside this room and they brought the team in in the cup so that the, the fans could at least see it or get close to touching it. They could touch their players and just high five everyone. I was a bit freaking out because of you know, the COVID restrictions. I was going nuts, but... It was just beautiful. Everyone singing songs. We were just, it was a moment. It was an absolute moment. And, and one of those times that you just, you never, ever forget. It was just very special to me. Well, uh, as the only person here whose team's not won MLS Cup, I feel a little left out. Um, but it seems like a, a, a really, really special memory for, for yourself and uh, a, a good place to, to leave it and say thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate hearing those, hearing those stories. Um, it's been really, really great to chat to you. No, thank you for having me. And thank you for what you're doing. I know you've been doing it for a number of years now. And um, to grow Major League Soccer is so important to create content and around the world to see it be watched. And I see a lot of it from my friends who I grew up with watching it on Sky Sports or wherever they pick up the games illegally. Um, they watch it. They want to watch it because it's on through the night and uh, they all start to have their team now. Who should I support? And it's down to people like you who make the effort to to make a difference. And you deserve a, a lot of credit for that. And thank you for, for what you do for, for this league as well as we continue to go forward. Elliot Holman, Henry Hewitt, MLS UK Show. How good was that? Ian Joy on the MLS UK show. And I, I just feel, I feel so liberated. I feel so like excited just talking to him and the passion he's got for MLS. Yeah, I mean, I've got to get up super early in the morning. It's really late at night now because we've just been chatting to him because of the time difference. But 
who cares? I could have spoken to him all night about all manner of things. Like he's so passionate. He's so knowledgeable. Love that. Um, could have just spoken to him about MLS forever. So if you enjoyed that, make sure you subscribe on your podcast provider and give us a rating as well. Elliot, there's one rule and one rule only. Yeah, LA Galaxy style, five stars only, please. And if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe and click the notification bell as well. Uh, Right, that's it from us for this episode. Next week, we are hopefully going to be joined by Liam Ridgewell. Of course, uh, fans in the UK will know Liam from playing for the likes of Aston Villa and West Brom and Birmingham. Um, he didn't really head out of the Midlands <laughs> that much, did he? Uh, and of course, uh, MLS fans, we will know him from playing for Portland Timbers as well. He's now summarizer, similar to Ian uh, for NYCFC, but he's summarizer for Portland. So really looking forward to that chat. Make sure you subscribe, make sure you like and uh, follow um, on all your podcast providers as well. So when we release that episode, it goes straight into your podcast notifications um right well elliot i'm going to go back and enjoy my holiday uh, i've got a a sangria waiting for me next to the pool um but uh, until next time i've been henry hewitt we'll all miss you we will uh i'm elliot holman we'll see you very soon see ya sports social podcast network